All right, it's morning huddle time. Good morning. You, uh, I'm not saying it works. I wish you Godspeed. Godspeed with all of that. I think that's really, really nice. Um, I, you know, I'm not sure what kind of success you're going to have with that today because the world, my friend, has changed. Right. Latin American construction workers, they have different needs. They have completely different These needs. These awards have a huge... Um, like criteria that you have to fill out and they usually have a community service or community relations portion of, uh, you know the most productive uh, with a high performance value um, and you know sometimes it's 11 o'clock at night yeah. funny isn't uh, yeah I, not not for me not for uh, me at 11 o'clock i am guaranteed to be snoring so so um... <laughs> It's morning huddle time. Good morning. I'm Chad Prinky. I'm here with Stacy Holzinger, as always, and our guest, Hillary Gent. Stacy, how are you this morning? I'm doing good. How are you guys? Doing good. Doing well. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for joining us, Hillary. So uh, Hillary is um, in-house counsel with uh, Davis Construction, James G. Davis Construction here in uh, the D.C. metro area. Um, uh, Hillary, tell us just a little bit about um, uh, Davis, uh, terms of like location, size, yada, yada. Give us a little bit of background on, on the, the company that you work with. Sure. So Davis is a general contractor. We're based mainly in the DC metro area. Our office is in Rockville. Um, and we do work in the Northern Virginia, DC, Maryland area. We also have a Philadelphia office. Uh, we're at 400 or so employees and we've been around for more than 50 years. And yeah. Awesome. Certainly in this area known for doing some of the uh, best looking and, and highest quality uh, award-winning projects. And uh, so kudos to, to you know, uh, James G.J. Davis and all the work that you guys do. Uh, I think, um, you know, cert- also lots of my friends and clients, uh, have, you know, in the, in the specialty contracting community have uh, really positive relationships with Davis. Um, by and large. So uh, you're, you're doing something right overall when you can have a whole bunch of work and subcontractors like you. Um, yeah, well, that's, that's uh, great to hear. And yeah. certainly value yeah. our, our partnerships with subcontractors. And we are going to get into some, some subcontractor chat uh, today in terms of uh, some of the stuff that we're dealing with. But before we do, I, I just give a, a little bit of background, Hillary. How long have you been uh, with James G. Davis and exactly what is your role in that uh, environment? Sure. So I've been with Davis eight years. I am in-house counsel, so one of two attorneys that we have at Davis. Um, Before coming to Davis, I worked at a small construction litigation firm. I worked on a big case for Davis, uh, so got to know our general counsel, my boss now, and and some of the people at Davis, and had an opportunity to come work in-house at the end of that case about eight years ago. So in my role, um, one of the main things I do is contract related. Um, I I negotiate and deal with all of our prime contracts. So with the uh, owner and then manage subcontractor issues. Um, I work on compliance, like for example, wage theft that we're talking about today and just try to hold Davis's hand uh, through all of our various legal issues that come up. Awesome. So, so uh, let's start the pivot toward our uh, topic today. So wage theft, uh, which is something that you have been 
um, kind of, I, I don't know how willingly, I, I'll be interested in that, <laughs> but thrust into the public uh, eye here in the past few months, uh, I've certainly gotten a chance to, uh, to actually see you speak about this and hear you speak and see you speak about this. And um, uh, it's a part of what really, you know, drew Stacy and I to, to having you on here because it's, it's, um, it sounds like just like a, I don't know, ho-hum legal issue. It's not. It's it's big and multifaceted and and complicated mm-hmm. and um and so uh, Stacy you know I'm gonna uh, put you uh, in your um, role as as per usual engaging with the uh, with the audience uh, here on chat but let's make sure that we um, take some specific questions from uh, from from our our you know audience on you know ways to navigate uh, some of these changes and I should also. Uh, make sure that I'm giving Hillary the space to provide a legal disclaimer, which is, yes, <laughs> Hillary is an attorney. Yes, she is an attorney specifically for Davis. But uh, Hillary, use the specific language that should be used in this situation uh, to make oh, sure. sure. Yeah. Um, just basically, I'm not an expert uh, employment lawyer. So, you know, I know enough to be dangerous and probably put my foot in my mouth <laughs> a little bit here. Um, but you know, anyone that has specific questions related to your company and your employment issues, you should really seek out a expert employment lawyer, which I am not. <laughs> so very good. All disclaimer. right, good. So there's the legal disclaimer. With that said, we're going to have the opportunity, I think, to talk about, uh, you know, if you have specific questions, we should talk about them. Just understand they're not legal advice uh, and, and that you should seek uh, legal advice specifically from your attorney. Yeah. All right, good. Let's uh, let's get rolling. Uh, Stacy, we'll see you in a bit. See ya. So, um, Hillary, I think one of the things that drew me so much into this topic was the the, um, the fact that the way this law is being, I don't know if there's been a, a you know fundamentally a change in the law or really just an enforcement of a law that's been in place for quite some time. But that the the change that it would really kind of force, or that it is forcing, in the industry is um, it's pretty <laughs> it's pretty seismic. Uh, so take a moment, if we can, and just describe a little bit what is wage theft uh, as it relates to you know the construction industry, and um, uh, maybe answer that question about is this a new set of laws or these laws that have existed? You know, how's what's what's happening right now? Sure. So wage theft is really just a failure of an employer to pay amounts that are legally due to their employees. So that could be, you know, if minimum wage is $15 an hour and you're paying a worker $10 an hour, you're stealing $5 an hour, you know, from that worker that they're legally due. Um, Failure to pay overtime is another common example. And then um, another area of focus, I think, by the jurisdictions is failure to provide paid sick leave. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think in the construction industry, one of the main ways that this becomes an issue is in the context of worker misclassification. Um, So for an independent contractor, so the things I just mentioned, um, you know, overtime, minimum wage, sick pay, um, that all implies, applies to employees. So the, the workers working for an employer that are classified as employees. Yep. An employer does not have to 
provide those same things to an independent contractor. So, um, and the other big difference is withholding taxes. So um, for an employee, the employer is required to withhold and pay taxes for their employees. Not so for independent contractors. Independent contractors are obligated to file and pay their own tax returns. So the issue really comes up in the uh, construction industry where a company hire somebody as an independent contractor, but that worker legally qualifies as an employee and so should be paid minimum wage over time, sick pay, have their taxes withheld, et cetera, et cetera. Yep. So in the construction industry, longstanding industry practice has been to classify workers as independent contractors when legally under you know long-standing legal principles they should be properly classified as employees so that hasn't changed um, I think what has what has changed more recently in the wage theft context is the enforcement of the issue and the roll-up of liability from the company that itself is misclassifying its workers to a higher tier subcontractor all the way up to the general contractor. Um, so in this is recent in the last couple of years, this is exists in DC, Maryland, Virginia, and not every state across the country, but it's you know continuing to roll out in jurisdictions across the country. Um, so states or jurisdictions themselves are creating laws, flowing up that liability, and then also giving the workers themselves um, not, you know, it's not just enforcement by the government agency. They're also giving workers themselves that ability to seek remuneration up the chain, not just from the, the company that hired them as well. Excellent. Um, so. That was a phenomenal uh, description, I think. It, you know, I've, I've been around this now for at least six months where I've been doing lots and lots of research and reading about I think you just put it so extremely succinctly. And I think, it, it, I, can I just repeat back to you in simple terms how I understand it and then you make any corrections? Sure. I think what you're saying is that uh, there, so the first question perhaps is, Am I actually hiring an independent contractor or is this person qualified, legally qualified to be a W-2 employee? And the, and the answer to that, I think, in most cases now, is if that person is out on your job site, right? If that person, if that person is working for, um, uh, if that person is working for a company on a job site, that they are in most cases uh, legally classified, you know, qualified to be W two at this point. Not yeah, I mean, generally, if they're doing the work of your business. So, like for example, if you're a painting company and you've got your own employees that are out there painting, and you need some additional labor, and you go to a you know a lower tier and you say, "I need some additional labor," and they come out and they're painting, then those people. It, generally speaking, should be qualified as employees, not as right. independent contractors. If they come out to if they come out to fix the painting company's trucks, then that would be a, a subcontractor, right? That or the, oh, sorry, that would be an independent contractor uh, that would qualify as that. But if they come out to paint, they're right. 
doing the work of the company. Okay, so that's one classification. And, and I think that has been, you know, a hard-fought discussion, but one that's largely settled law at this point. Uh, it, it's Yeah, and I mean, it's not that you can't ever have somebody legally qualify as an independent contractor. I think just in the industry, the the reality is that generally speaking, if you have somebody out there doing the same work that your company is doing, they should be classified as an employee. Yeah. I, I, I heard in one of the forums that I sat in on, I heard uh, the speaker who's uh, an employment, uh, employment lawyer say, guys, if there's somebody working out on the job site doing the work of your company, they, they really need to not be an independent contractor at this point. That's just something you need to be, you know, as a general rule, uh, be thinking about. So uh, then the next piece of this is, the, the, as you said, longstanding norms. And, and I think I found in different uh, market sectors, um, it's more, you know, um, common than in others. So in, in wood frame multifamily, as an example, it's really, really common that, that the vast majority of the subcontracting community is using very few of their own in-house labor, if any, and they're really uh, leveraging third party, right, a, a lower tier subcontractor that, that was really there to provide the labor on that job. And so that's been their business model. <laughs> you know, that's been, it's really been the way that they've been running things for a long time. So uh, all of a sudden, the ability to not just punish the lower tier subcontractor for violating wage theft by, you know, and, and again, how does that happen? Paying people uh, a piece work that maybe doesn't ultimately add up to minimum wage. Whoops, that person worked slow, so it didn't add up to minimum wage. Paying people piece work. And they are putting in 12-hour days, and it doesn't add up to minimum wage plus at least overtime. There's another right. opportunity, right? So, so exactly as you described it. But now these companies, these entire companies who, who, you know, this electrical contractor who has very few actual electricians on their team, but mostly just kind of employs, um, you know, management level folks, project managers, estimators, and then, and then you know, maybe foremen and superintendents, they, how, how are they supposed to get these people out? on their project. Uh, you know, how are they supposed to, how are they supposed to staff their projects when they don't actually have internal staff? So you as Davis, why did you make the decision to start, um, you know, kind of requiring that your subcontractors do this? And, um, and I, and I'll say you, you're pretty early on in that, right? Like it's, they're not, not every GC is, has embraced this idea. Why did, why did Davis say, guys, we're not, we're not just going to let the law handle this. We're going to handle this. We're going to write it into our contract. Well, let me just clarify one thing you said. Um, it's not that you can't use a labor subcontractor. You don't have to, you know, we're not saying that, you know, a company has to have everyone on their payroll. If you use a labor subcontractor, their workers need to be properly classified. Thank you. And yeah. that's, that's something that I should have said that I'll, I'll take 20 seconds and, and clarify that for me, what I'm, what I'm specifically talking about is a, a norm that has been created where those labor subcontractors tend to pay their employees as independent contractors right. and that the prime subcontractor 
who hires that uh, subcontractor is doing nothing wrong by hiring that subcontract by hiring that labor sub. But now that prime subcontractor, as well as the general, are liable for that uh, for that labor subcontractor's wage theft violations if they yeah. should occur, which they probably are, right? Like occurring just just based on the fact that they're misclassified. Yeah, yeah. Um, so why did David? You know, why is Davis doing this? Um, yeah. I think several reasons. Um, one. You know the the flow up of liability. It's 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 added risk to Davis. Um, so there's that. Um, there's the fact that not only is there added liability, but it's massive added liability. So it's not just um, the the amount of the wages that weren't paid. It's three times the amount of the wages that weren't paid, plus other penalties and and things like that. Um, then there's the fact that this is continuing to be enforced. You've seen, you know, um, other general contractors have been targeted by the DC attorney general Davis and every other general contractor in the area has been sued civilly for this issue. And if you haven't yet, you will. (laughs) Um, so, you know, there's a lot of legal focus, legal reason for this. And then there's also, you know, we've, we've been hearing clients asking about it. We've had clients say, you know, we're hearing about this wage theft issue. We want all the workers on our job sites to be paid correctly. You know, what are you doing, Davis, to ensure that they're being paid correctly? And, and there's the, you know, the moral aspect on our end as well. You know, you're working on a Davis job. The workers that are working hard should be paid appropriately. Um, so, you know, there was a lot of different factors. This issue has been, you know, kind of bubbling for a couple of years. And we've made a push in the last year to really make this an area of focus for us um, corporately. We've, you know, we rolled out a new subcontract exhibit that doesn't really say anything different than what our subcontract right. has already said for years. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. what it says is you have to comply with employment laws, which, you know, you're already legally obligated to do that, regardless of whether Davis or any general contractor tells you, um, and you need to maintain records to show compliance. And then if there's not compliance and, you know, Davis gets tagged for, for something that was caused by you or your lower tier, then you're, you are responsible to Davis for that. Um, so, you know, that's what the, the rider says, um, which is pretty much what the subcontract already says, just expanded a little bit. Um, and then, you know, like I said, it's been an area of focus for our company. So we've updated our, um, our pre-qualification form to, you know, ask some questions about, you know, how do you as a, a subcontractor that's going to work on a Davis project, how do you hire people? What do you do, subcontractor, to look at your lower tiers and how they're classifying their workers? Um, so, you know, we can, that gets factored into pre-qualification um, for working on Davis jobs. And this is really a top-down issue at Davis. You know, we this is coming from, you know, the very top at Davis that this is an important issue for us. We've rolled out company-wide education as well. So. Uh, I, 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 you know, like it or not, the stepped-up enforcement and this roll-up clause Right. That, that they're that, that, that I mean, it's it's really creating change. And, and I applaud you guys for 
not waiting to be, uh, you know, not waiting for this to be a problem, but instead, you know, working to get out in front of it. You're not alone, but you are leading uh, in, in that area. So what does this mean fundamentally to the industry and to your subcontractors? What, what, what do you imagine happening and what are you already hearing? This is, you, you know, it's relatively new, but you have been doing it. What, what, what's, what's the feedback so far? Uh, so through ABC, ABC's held a couple of seminars on this issue. One kind of, you know, targeted to general contractors, another to subcontractors. And then we had sort of a joint session, you know, for everyone to sort of talk about it. And um, I think the hope, the goal is that the whole industry, you know, moves in a new way um, to no longer misclassifying workers on the job sites, having the workers be paid the legally due, you know, benefits and, and payment that they're entitled to. Um, but I think it's a, it's a difficult issue. It's been longstanding industry practice, as you said, you know, people built their business model and, you know, in, in a different way. And so it's, it's a big ship to turn, but we are trying, I think, you know, sort of step one is, um, is education. I think, not, you know, malintent or not, I think there's a lot of people out there doing things that this is the way it's always been done. And they, you know, they think that, that it's normal and they don't necessarily know that there's anything wrong with the way that they have been doing business. Uh, certainly, you know, there are bad actors out there, but there's probably a lot that didn't appreciate uh, the issue. So we're trying to get the, the education piece out there and, and hope that as more people understand the issue, um, you know, there's change. I, I think, you know, it bears calling out the elephant in the room with the, with the whole why people have been 1099, right? Like it, it, overall, and certainly not, you know, hard and fast rule, right? But overall, it, 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 isn't it fair to say that the majority of the labor subcontractors who are 1099ing people and who are the potential root cause, not, you know, I'm not saying they have been doing things wrong, right? But they're the potential root cause of these uh, wage theft issues. The reason these people are 1099 is because that they can't be W2'd. Um, that, 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 in fact, they're an undocumented worker class that the entire construction industry, certainly in our region, and I can only imagine in other regions across the country, has become completely dependent on to perform the work in the field, which is, again, it's an undocumented, primarily Latin American workforce um, that, that is 1099 because they don't have legal status uh, mm. in, in the U.S. Um, when you think about that, um, what, what is, you know, what are companies actually able to do to get into compliance here? What, 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 what are you, you know, how do you, how do you navigate that? Hey, everybody now has to be W2'd and, and you know, all these people throw up their hands and say like, I, how do I W2 somebody that isn't documented? What do I do? Yeah. Well, there's two two pieces to it. One is, you know, by law, um, a, 
you have to, you can only hire people that are legally authorized to work in the U.S. So that's one way to, to put people on W-2. Um, you know, obviously, I think it's known, as you said, in the industry, there's undocumented workers. And that's just not going to happen, that everybody is going to be legally authorized to work in the industry. Um, so the other way that I understand that, that pe- you know, companies have worked towards the W-2 compliance, not necessarily legally authorized to work in the U.S. compliance, but is um, that the workers can get an ITIN, which is uh, an individual tax identification number. Um, and that is issued, that can be issued to an undocumented worker, and that allows the employer to withhold taxes for that uh, and pay taxes for that worker, and also uh, gives the workers themselves certain benefits, um, like, for example, in many states, uh, having an ITN allows you to get a driver's license and open a bank account and send your kids to the local schools um, and, and things like that. So what we are seeing some of the um, companies that are working to solve this wage theft issue, they have converted to ensuring that all of their workers have these ITINs. They are all paid W-2 and um, you know taxes withheld and paid. And so that, you know, that is one way um, towards dealing with the misclassification and wage theft issue. Yeah, man, this, the, the labor force, um, that takes a leap of faith for, for the, for that worker, right. For that worker to have the guts to, um, put themselves on the radar if they're currently undocumented. Um, it, I, I, you know, I don't, I you're, I'm now I'm putting you in a situation. You don't have an answer to this question, but my, you know, this is, I, as I start to imagine what this is uh, going to look like at scale so that not only does Davis do it, but that, you know, and, and the handful that have already done it, you know, you know, made the same kind of move to say, Hey, this is how we're doing it moving forward folks. And if you don't, if you're not in compliance with this, then you're out of compliance with us. Um, uh, there, there's going to have to be a sea change with those employees. Now, do you think that there's a strategic advantage for the subcontractors who um, don't comply, uh, you know, on on projects? Obviously, they're not going to win work with Davis, but in, in other environments, you know, where somebody isn't. Uh, so let's say subcontractor A is working really hard to get all of their, um, you know, labor subs on uh, W-2 and make sure that everybody is doing things in this really official and legal capacity. Subcontractor B is gambling. Do you think there's a strategic advantage for subcontractor B in the short term? Uh-oh. Did I break um, Sorry. So from what we've... Can you hear me? You were a little delayed. Chat. Oh, my fault. Um, we can hear you. You're good. Okay, good. All right. Um, you know, from, from what... I have heard from the subcontractors that we work with that are, you know, putting measures in place to, you know, ensure their lower tiers are complying. Uh, Some of the challenges that they have faced are having the workers say, you're going to make me get an ITIN and withhold my taxes. And, you know, 
I don't want to deal with that. I'm going to go, you know, work for another company that isn't going to do that. Um, mm -hmm. And so the, the hope is that the more, you know, part of the change here is that if every, everyone is requiring the, you know, the ITIN process or, you know, making sure that everyone is paid, you know, W-2 as opposed to independent contractor, that there's not going to be the, the other company to go to that's not doing it, you know, that's not requiring that, that everyone will require that, you know, level the playing um, as far as, you know, an advantage for the people that are doing it right. And from, again, what I've heard from our subcontractors is, you know, yes, there's an aspect of it that is more expensive and that, you know, the worker who was making $20 an hour without taxes withheld, they still want to get their, you know, at the end of the day, net $20 an hour if you're going to withhold taxes. So you know, you're having to increase their, what they are paid hourly. Um, but you know, they have seen some efficiencies in, you know, now I'm paying attention to when everyone clocked in and when everyone clocked out and, you know, I'm seeing the actual hours worked on the job site and maybe I was overpaying before, um, you know, for paying for, mm. for hours that weren't actually worked. Um, but now, you know, I know you were there from, you know, seven to three or, you know, whatever it is. And, and that's what your paycheck is for. Um, mm. So, you know, we, that um, benefit. So, so one thought that I have on this is that you know may, maybe the the uh, subs that continue to kind of be on the wrong side of the law here will have a strategic advantage once until that general contractor ends up getting nailed for a lawsuit because they hired that subcontractor and that subcontractor was using labor brokers that hadn't gone through the process of securing ITINs, vetting their employees, yada, yada, yada. Um, and, uh, and, and so, you know, it's, it, they might be lower this time, but once that, you know, once the treble damages and the fines come in and, uh, you know, everybody's, uh, you know, written a seven figure fine, you know, check, uh, what you thought you saved went away really, really fast. And, and so it speaks to what you're saying, Hillary, about the whole idea that, that we're, we're trying to, it needs to be kind of a movement and people do need to get, uh, on board with this. And, uh, it's happening. It's absolutely happening, particularly in the district. I imagine that it's going to be happening, uh, outside the district. I already know I have clients that are in the South, uh, Southwest and that are in the South, uh, where it's starting to happen in those markets. This is going to be uh, more than just a localized uh, issue. And I know it already is more than just a localized issue. Uh, you know, you look at New York City, you look at, you know, um, uh, down in Florida. I know that they're, they're enforcing this in, in Miami. So anyway, um, uh, we have a couple of questions here. Um, and I know, Stacey, uh, you're, you're a trooper, you, but you're super under the weather today. <laughs> so I don't want to make you uh, uh, overdo it. So um, I'll... <laughs> All right, you got you. You want to take a shot at uh, Ike's? Well, question? you can take a shot at right. Ike's. I think that's more in your, and then I'll get to Josh. <laughs> All right, very good. So, so, uh, so, Hillary Ike uh, Casey, who is um, uh, the president of the associate, uh, the um, uh, ASA, right, the American Subcontractor Association in DC, uh, so he asked a question where he said, "I understand someone, maybe in the DC AG's office." Um, has hired 40 Spanish-speaking people to visit construction job sites 
to entice workers to file claims. Do you know if this is true? And if so, what do you recommend to your subs to address this? And 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 I'll uh, maybe just add like a couple of seconds of clarity for the audience on this. The idea would be that um, if you can, as Hillary mentioned, if if the individual on the job site actually has the ability to go and file claims themselves, and you're able to identify somebody that who who says yes, I'm not being paid appropriately, uh, then that person. Uh, can you know go to the boss, or I'm sorry, can, can can literally go to a lawyer, right, or and file suit against the people who've hired them, uh, thus you know starting to snowball this um, situation. So uh, that would be theoretically the motivation of the DCAG's office, if in fact they're hiring Spanish-speaking people to go out visit job sites and say, hey, how you being paid? Um, and uh, hey, you know that's illegal, and you can file a suit. So. Mm-hmm. There's a little bit of detail for the audience on it. But Hillary, back to the question. Have, uh, I've not heard this. Have you heard this? I have not heard that either. Um, yeah, I, I haven't heard that. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if that was true, but I haven't heard that. Um, and I think at least from the civil civil lawsuit side where the workers themselves are filing lawsuits, I mean, putting aside the AG, it's really a plaintiff lawyer's dream because you just need to convince someone you're going to get what you weren't paid times three and you can sue your direct employer. You can sue the person above them. You can sue the person above them and all of them are jointly and severally liable and they have to pay your attorney's fees. So it's, it's a plaintiff Mm -hmm. lawyer's dream. um, And I'm surprised that there haven't been more lawsuits than there already are on this topic. Um, But I guess as far as what do we recommend that subcontractors do? I mean, I think if the, you know, if the jurisdiction is entitled to send people to the job sites, there's not a whole lot that can be done about that. Um, So I guess my recommendation would be make sure everyone's being paid correctly and then you don't have a problem. Yeah, I was just going to say, I think that the way that they're setting this up is that the only way to do this is to get in compliance. You've mm-hmm. got to get in compliance, and uh, and so if, um, if if you're not, you're you are going to be a target, particularly inside Washington D.C., but definitely you know also in Maryland, also in Virginia, um, uh, but you know for sure you know if as if we needed more reasons, if as if subcontractors needed more reasons to be afraid of working in D.C., uh, <laughs> there's a, there's yeah. another. <laughs> So, all right, Stacy. I think we have one or two other questions. Uh, Josh was curious, uh, how are contractors vetting the labor brokers? That's a good question. So I don't know. Yeah, I don't know um, what, I don't know personally what, um, you know, many different subcontractors are doing. I know, you know, some of the ones that we've talked to, they sort of have trusted brokers that they work with that they've, you know, put them through training and sat down and said, you know, this is what we are going to require of you, you know, if you want to work with us, 
And so it's really kind of establishing that relationship and having having that education and, and those discussions. I've also heard um, this is one thing that Gilbane, I believe, is doing is they, they have expanded their pre-qualification process beyond just their first tier subcontractors. They've started pre-qualifying the next tier down. Yep. Um, so I, I'm not sure what that process looks like, but that is something that another general contractor is doing it as far as looking at this issue. Okay. I love that. That's great. Um, that's and, and that's a really interesting thought that the general contractor is taking on that extra step. I wonder what that looks like in terms of actual overhead and enforcement and how plausible that's going to be to, you know, how sustainable that'll be uh, at scale. Um, and whether, you know, I'm sure Davis is looking at it saying, how's it going? <laughs> should, should, we be, should we be doing something similar? But, uh, you know, I, I think... Um, Frankly, in the short term, while the the um, violations would, I mean, again, I, I'm this is anecdotal. I don't have hard stats, but I just I just know I just know that it's a staggering number of companies that are currently out of compliance on this. That I would say, if you know, in the short term, it probably does pay to be hyper vigilant and and just you know, uh, really not, not in a punitive way, but, but really in kind of like, and I know this is a part of what you talked about as well, right? It's about helping your subcontractors to figure this out. And it's about the subcontractors helping their labor subcontractors to figure this out. And, uh, it's about everybody kind of pulling together and doing it, uh, you know, uh, in, in lockstep. Ike said something in response, which I thought he said, you know, but the employer spends a ton of money defending him or herself. Right. So he said, good answer. But the, but the, you know, Back to this thought of uh, the AG, right? Having forty Spanish-speaking people out there trying to drum up lawsuits. Um, I'll just say that uh, one of the things that's on my mind is if I were a, a, a labor subcontractor, or if I were a subcontractor, prime sub, I might, uh, you know, proactively brand on and message on how we are solving this problem. You know, kind of, uh, you know, putting it out there in the public sphere, being really proactive about like branding and marketing my business on we are, you know, super proactive about making sure that our, our subcontractors are this and that our employees are that and we never, you know, misclassify. I think it's not going to be it's not going to be like, a you know, a defense against all. But I think, you know, if you can if you can brand your company in a way where uh, the AG's office or whoever right? Looks at you as one of the good guys, you maybe do deflect some of the pressure, um, you know, that, that way. Uh, so anyway, um, good guys. I think we're, we're, uh, we're over on time and I, I, uh, knew that that would happen. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, fascinating conversation. Stacy, do you have any other, uh, follow on questions? I don't know if we could sneak this in real quick, but just to follow up with Joshua, he was also curious, what happens if one of the non-compliant employees gets injured on the job? Well, I'm a little in my wheelhouse there. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I would think it, workers' compensation would kick in, but I, you know, I'm not sure how that works if you've got somebody misclassified, if, that, if that's another hole there. Um, I don't know the answer to that question. We had a guest. We had a guest last year, um, Oscar, 
uh, Garcia, who is, um, he, he owns a, a consulting firm that really helps companies to, helps contractors to make it a more uh, Latin American friendly uh, environment, um, mm-hmm. you know, inside of it. And one of the um, things that he said without hesitation, he said, you know, the, a, a, a lot of it gets swept under the rug. A lot of it is, it's, it's you know, vastly underreported the number of incidents that happen to mm-hmm. undocumented, misclassified workers. And it's a part of what, um, you know, people need to be vigilant about and look out for is that, you know, the safety of that community is mm-hmm. um, really tied into all of this, right? Mm-hmm. So, so without question, Josh, you know, uh, solving this problem while it's a huge pain in the butt and a very legitimate one for the people who are trying to say like, man, this totally changes my business model and I don't know how to navigate this. Um, I think uh, short-term pain, long-term, it's going to be a big win for the industry. I really do think uh, that uh, through this process, we become a more humane, um, better place to be for uh, employees, regardless of their background. And I, and I'm, Again, uh, you know, kudos to Davis, kudos to you, Hillary, for um, you know fearlessly participating in, in the public square here and and mm-hmm. and trying to uh, you know uh, help people through what is um, a very painful process, <laughs> but uh, but you know hopefully one that uh, that creates positive change in the industry, which is. Um, you know, again, I don't know if that's the motivation uh, from the AG's office, right? I think the motivation yeah. might be tax revenue, <laughs> but, but there's a, but there's a, um, you know, the side benefit is maybe it becomes, like I say, a happier, more humane place for people to work. So, yeah, yeah. certainly. No. <laughs> All right. Awesome. Hillary, any final words before we part? I don't think so. Thank you all for having me and, and giving us a platform to continue the conversation. You know, as you said, Chad, I think it's it's a really important issue. And Davis is certainly not perfect. Uh, you know, we haven't we don't have the silver bullet. We're you know, we're still trying to figure it out, too. Um, but, you know, that we appreciate the opportunity to continue to spread the message and hope that catches on. So, yeah, keep making those honest, good faith efforts. That's that's all anybody can do. That's all anybody yeah. can do. So good for you. Thank you so much. Uh, and and you do officially win the award for the uh, most beautiful actual background. Well done. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> here, here. Oh, Hillary, if people wanted to reach out to you, how would, yes. it, what yeah. would be the best way to do it? Sure. Um, it's H-G-H-E-N-T at davisconstruction.com. All right. Great. H-G-N- or LinkedIn. Yeah. Or on LinkedIn. Okay, good. So either place, but at uh, davisconstruction.com or on LinkedIn. So hgent at uh, davisconstruction.com or LinkedIn. Thank you. Uh, Hillary, we appreciate you. We'll see you soon, I'm sure. All right. <laughs> All right, Stacey, let's, let's talk a little bit about next, uh, about next week and, and what we have coming up. Yep. Um, before we do, I wondered if you have a steel toe communication marketing tip of the week. Sure. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about repurposing content. I get a lot of questions. People run out of ideas on what to post about. Um, think about, you know, any webinars that you did throughout the year. That's a great place to find little nuggets of information or go to your YouTube channel, really review any of your analytics to see 
what key points people are, you know, looking at your videos and cut them down into little clips. Um, same with any other channels that you're working on, review your content every three to six months and repurpose, repost things that people already find popular. Um, just, you know, work smarter. <laughs> Daisy, that tip is so smart, but it also stresses me out and makes me realize <laughs> that I probably need to hire you. Okay. It's <laughs> like, I don't have the time to do that, but it's great. And I, I totally agree. Um, so next week we have uh, Greg Stone, who is uh, another attorney, actually, uh, funny enough, not planned. Uh, but uh, Greg's actually going to be on talking about something that I didn't know was even a thing, which is intellectual Neither. property, right? Intellectual property in the construction industry. And and, you know, there are so many things that we haven't even you know considered as contractors and, and uh, you know, that, that are means and methods and, and specific strategies that we've been using to uh, create efficiencies and things like that in our business. Some of that stuff actually might be uh, protectable intellectual property information that you can keep employees from leaving and taking and bringing to your competitor and uh, things along those lines. And yet... Uh, it is one of the spaces where uh, the fewest intellectual property uh, support is in place. So Greg is going to talk about some of the things that you can legitimately do. Uh, to, so first off, how to identify what intellectual property you have. And then mm -hmm. second, uh, what you can legitimately do, do to protect that intellectual property uh, as a construction business. It should be at the very least a conversation where you learn a ton uh, and uh, I'm sure very uh, um interesting as, or I'm sorry, uh, uh, entertaining as well, because Greg is hysterical and he's a really great guy. Uh, so I look forward to, uh, to that discussion. Uh, Stacey, anything else before we wrap up? Yes. I did want to announce that we got Amy Marks, the queen of prefab to our show and she'll be joining us October 25th. So excited for that. That is going to be awesome. Yeah, that was like it was like a negotiation between our people and her people. It was. Uh... <laughs> they just all they all just went to the big Autodesk uh, conference, yep. which I heard was great. So um, that that will be fantastic. So that's in a couple of weeks. So keep tuning in, folks. Be live. Check us out. If you can't check us out live, uh, catch us wherever you catch your podcast. And you know what? Do us a favor and tell somebody this week about the morning huddle. Uh, help to spread the word uh, and, uh, you know, uh, help us to, to try to create this, you know, maintain this platform where, where people can talk about the positive change that they're bringing to the industry. Um, we'd really appreciate it. Thank you. See you. Have Stacey. a great morning. See ya. <laughs>